pile on to what Paul said in terms of thanks for uh, people signing up for meals for them. That's never an issue. It's not like it's been an issue, but suddenly now uh, we're doing better. But I was, I really was struck when Saturday morning, early Saturday morning, like it was like 5 a.m. I see Elliot's email that he had sent out like seven hours before, like at, I don't know what time, 10 p.m. And already every single slot was filled up. And I, I'm, I'm thanking the Lord. I, in that moment, I thanked the Lord for his work among you because one of the chief evidences of God's transforming work in his people is love for one another. And so as I see that put on display in your lives, that is just a huge encouragement. So uh, I just want to encourage you with that evidence. And I know that that means that a lot of you, because uh, so many people jumped in there so quickly, a lot of you weren't able to participate in that. So don't feel bad about that. There are plenty of other opportunities to participate, but just encouraged by that. Also, a few other notes as we transition from one series to uh, back into 1 Thessalonians. I just want to publicly thank Paul and Bobby for teaching us. Uh, just really appreciate you guys taking us through that and making time for that. Uh, the Lord has obviously gifted you guys in the area of explaining clearly God's word and then applying it. And that's a gift to us. And so thank you for making the, the, the sacrifice, the labor of love to prepare each week uh, to be able to teach us through that series. We do appreciate that. Now, as we turn from another prefatory note here, from more of a topical study back to an exposition, I just it, it occurred to me just to comment and think through with you just the place, the appropriate place of both of those ways of teaching. Because uh, there's a sense in which you know, you can kind of be more in favor of one or another. Um, but I thought there's an appropriate place for both and helpful maybe to think through that. Although we often emphasize biblical exposition here at TBC, there's also a place for topical study, by which I essentially mean starting with a topic, a theme of some sort, going to the scriptures to see what they teach about that topic. And then once you've determined what the scriptures teach about that topic, seeking to apply whatever you've learned from the scriptures about that so that it shapes the way we think and the way we act. The major danger with topical study is that you'll only study topics you, you already have in mind and think to be important. The benefit, on the other hand, of just working through a biblical book, whether that's like in the context of doing this corporately or whether that's in your own study, just opening from some portion, you know, open the book of Mark and start working through it. The big benefit to that is that you aren't starting with kind of what you already expect to find or what you think is important. You're basically just saying, Lord, I don't, I don't really know what's important, but I want you to tell me what's important. I once heard someone use this helpful analogy. Uh, you know, the game of Jeopardy is an interesting game, right? Like, you, you start with an answer, and you've got to think of the question. It's a, it's, a weird, it's a weird one, though we're all familiar with it. But in some ways, topical study is you start with your own questions, right? And then you go to God's Word to find those. But what about all the portions of Scripture that contain answers that are answers to questions you aren't thinking to ask? In some ways, Bible studies like a game of Jeopardy. You start studying, and then you determine what questions you should have been asking, Right? <laughs> Oh, that's the answer? Okay, that's what I should have been, that's what should have been important to me. That's what I should have been asking. And in many ways, um, 
kind of approaching the Bible on its own terms more, we could say expositionally, uh, just seeking to understand what's there and apply what we find, is often more effective at kind of reworking our thinking at a foundational level. You know, for example, there might be topics that are very important to God, and that comes through in the scriptures because he conveys them there. But they aren't so important to us simply because of unawareness. And if our study is always driven by starting with topics we think are important, then we never really learn about those topics, do we? Or sometimes a topic is important, but we're thinking about it, and we could say maybe an unbiblical or a distorted way. So in other words, yes, this topic's important to me, and it's important to God. It's in his word. But we come to the scriptures with sort of a distorted understanding of it. Therefore, when we come to study that text in scripture, the text we go to or the aspects we go to study might be part of the story, or maybe sometimes those are pieces that don't even relate to that topic as God understands it. And there are other things that we leave out. And so we kind of continue with our a bit of distorted perspective on that rather than really having that changed. Let me maybe just state all that a bit more differently and hopefully a bit more simply. We all, I really mean that, all of us come to Scripture and live until glorification with some measure at least, and that's being modest, some measure of thinking that's unbiblical, right? That's not aligned with scripture. We're we're all there to varying degrees. Our goal is to bring ourselves as close as we can. But when we come to scripture, we come with the hope that that, the scriptures, would be what they are, and they would change our thinking, right? That we would be changed into the mold of scripture as we bring ourselves face to face with it. But there's also this reality that we're all familiar with. You've ever been like talking to someone, you know, that person who it's like, whatever you tell them, they're going to hear what they want to hear. And it's true to all for all of us, right? To some extent or another, we all bring pre-understandings to someone's communication, interpret it in light of that. Some people are better at setting those pre-understandings aside than others. (laughs) But my point is when we come to scripture, there's always that danger that we're going to actually reshape scripture to fit our categories rather than reshaping our categories. And it seems like generally just kind of coming to the scriptures, opening them up and studying them on their own terms, generally uh, emphasizing that is better at reshaping our thinking in our categories than starting topically. Okay. So that's, that's the reason why we often in many venues around here, kind of study the Bible, what I'll say, expositionally, right? Starting somewhere in scripture and just whatever's there, we're going to explain it. We're going to seek to understand it. We're going to seek to apply it. And that's wonderful. But we live, we, we, we are members of a church. We are participants in a body where the bulk of the teaching is exposition, right? The main Sunday preaching is exposition. And in that type of a venue, when that's like the, the backbone of our instruction, I think that actually adding in, supplementing a little bit of topical instruction is helpful. When I say I, I'm not unique in that. I think all of our elders would agree, all the elders would agree with that. That's, that's helpful to put that in. And so really what, what's the best venue for that? Our Sunday school classes and Sunday evenings are often the venues where we do sprinkle in some of those topical studies. You guys have probably noticed that from time to time. So um, as we transition back and forth, it's not because like Paul and Bobby are the topical guys, and Tim doesn't like to do that. Um, 
It's that because together, as we think through what's going to be most helpful for us, we just think that there's a balance, right? There's multiple things that are helpful. Um, so that's hopefully helpful. I know you guys probably hear various perspectives on how to study the Bible and all, but maybe that's helpful in just thinking through why the different approaches and the appropriateness of both. All right, as so we jump into First Thessalonians, I'm not going to expect you to remember where we left off and, and all that we covered because we left off back at the end of September. So that was a long time ago. So we're going to... Yeah, good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> so we're going to start with a little bit of review here. So take your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians. Paul's first letter to the church of the Thessalonians. Chapter 1. Fortunately, we don't have too far to review. So Paul starts in verse 1 with a salutation. I'll just go and read that for us here. Verse 1, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And then he moves into this next section which, in which he's sharing with the Thessalonians his thanksgiving to God for them. And how far that section extends, I think I mentioned to you, months ago, is a little hard to discern because in some sense, at the end of chapter 3, Paul's still thanking God for them. And yet, he doesn't maintain pure, clear thanksgiving throughout the entirety of the first three chapters. Even in the middle of chapter 2, he's thanking God for them. But there are pieces in there where it seems like he kind of gets aside from that, and then comes back to the thanksgiving. So whether you frame it up as all of chapters 1 through 3 are thanksgiving, and then within the thanksgiving, he kind of has these little asides, or whether you say, hey, he's touching on various things, and he keeps coming back to thanksgiving, doesn't really matter too much, but there's a, it's hard to determine exactly when he stops giving the thanksgiving. But he at least goes through the end of chapter 1, those first 10 verses, with thanksgiving. But... To break that up even further, kind of the first section of this first part of Thanksgiving is verses 2 through 7. And that's where we've been, verses 2 through 7. And I've summarized it for us with this outline. And I gave you guys this outline before, it's just we only got into the first lesson, lesson number one, the priority of Thanksgiving. But kind of summarizing it all around three lessons from Paul's Thanksgiving to shape our priorities. And then we jumped into the first one, lesson one, the priority of Thanksgiving. So let's read the passage, and then I'll explain how we move from observing a Thanksgiving of Paul to determining that it should function for us by shaping our priorities. So first let's read, starting in verse 2. Paul writes, We give thanks to God always concerning all of you, as we mention you in our prayers. And we do this because we are incessantly remembering your work of faith, your labor of love, and your perseverance motivated by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ before our God and Father. And we also thank God for you because we know, brothers, beloved by God, your election or God's choice of you. We know you are elect because... Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but it came to you in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. 
just as you know what sort of people we were among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord by means of receiving the word, that is the gospel message, in much affliction with joy provided by the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all who are believing in Macedonia and Achaia. So, Paul shares his thanksgiving to God for them. Now, what relevance does that have for us? As we jump into it and begin studying it, there's always this historical dimension, right? Okay, there's, there's a historical letter of someone writing to someone else, and we can explain that, but why did the early church preserve this for many other churches, right? What, what's the effect this is supposed to have on us? What are we supposed to learn from this? What makes this Thanksgiving special and helpful for us? Whenever we approach this, it's often helpful, before you move too quickly to thinking about us, before we move too quickly to thinking about ourselves here in the 21st century, it's helpful to ask not just what is the content here, but why did the author communicate that? Why did the author, let's just ask this way, why did Paul include in this letter to the Thessalonians a, an explanation of the thanks he's rendering to God? Like, think about that. He, he's saying, I give this thanks to God, but I'm going to share that with you. Like, what was the reason? That wasn't necessary. He, he, he just thanks God. Why does he need to share with them now? What was his intention? What effect did he hope to have in his hearers by doing that? When you do that, when you ask that question, answer that question, it will almost always answer for you what effect it should have for you. Almost always. But that question of why it was written is often left out, and that leaves us wondering how to apply it, and then we often find ourselves wandering about with all kinds of ideas about how to apply it when if we just ask, why did the author include it here? It would give some answers. So it seems like Paul's including it here, this Thanksgiving, sharing his Thanksgiving to, to God for them, because, number one, he simply wants to encourage them that God's working in them. They're in the midst of hardship, and he wants them to be encouraged that God is at work in you. But there's a big difference between simply telling someone, be encouraged, I see good things in your life, and... Or, on the other hand, taking time to think about what are those things and listing them out, isn't there? That's much more meaningful, and that's what Paul aims to do. That's one reason, but I think even a bigger reason is what we might just think of as positive reinforcement. Paul's identifying the things that's good, that, that, that are good that they're doing, and says, I want you to know this is important, and I'm thanking the Lord for it with the hope that they will keep doing it, right? They'll see, yes, these are important things to be pursuing and keep doing it. So in some ways, he's taking a mirror and focusing on the things they're doing well so that they'll keep doing that. In that way, it becomes almost like they're becoming a model for themselves. And he's showing them the parts of them they need to keep emulating, keep doing those things. And in that sense, it becomes a bit of a pattern for us. And keep in mind, it's not just that Paul thinks these things are important. These weren't just priorities for Paul. Because Paul's inspired, we can be guaranteed that these are priorities for God. These are things God knows to be important in his people. And at one level, what we have here is just a 
We could say a model or a pattern for our thanksgiving, right? What kinds of things should we give thanks to God for? Paul kind of shows us here what we should give thanks to God for. We hear what are valuable things to give thanks for. But at another level, it kind of goes beyond just what to give thanks for. It goes beyond that to generally what are priorities because the things we give thanks for are things we prioritize, things that are valuable. We don't usually take the time to thank someone or thank the Lord for something that doesn't mean much to us. Is it feeling warm in here? Great. Doesn't feel terribly warm to me, but I just want to make sure you guys are okay. You guys look kind of sleepy, actually. That's part of it. I don't want you to sleep. And Matt's back there, so I was going to ask Matt to uh, turn the AC on if we need to. All right, I'm hearing no. Could be a little warmer? Okay, just leave it right there then. Sorry for that. We got to be comfortable, though. <laughs> there was more to it than that. <laughs> Uh, okay, so in some sense, as we think about kind of getting from this Thanksgiving to its effect on us and what we should be thinking about and the sense in which what we give thanks for is a model for our priorities, just to tease that out a bit, pretty consistently the things we give thanks for are things that are important to us. Um, and that's, that's helpful because think about our priorities, right? How do you know someone's priorities? Can you just like take the x-ray and know, know what's important to them? There's a sense in which you could say you never know someone's heart, right? We never know what's important to someone, what's a priority to them. And there's also a sense in which what drives us, what motivates us, what's important to us. Don't worry, I'm sure that's the heat, not the air conditioner. <laughs> what's important to us, I'm sure, is, is, is always evident. Like you can't hide that for very long, can you? It's going to come out in what you talk about. It's going to come out in what you give your energies to. It's going to come out in what you, you're willing to spend money on. It's going to come out in what you pray for and what you thank God for. You guys track with me there? And so we, we're seeing in Paul here what's important to him. And it's not just like some theoretical framework that says that's true. We could actually tease this out. By looking at elsewhere in Paul's life, in his other letters, consistently, the things Paul gives his time to, gives his best energies to, the things that concern him and burden him, are the same things he's thanking the Lord for and petitioning the Lord about. So there's this holistic sense in which the deepest priorities we have come out in our thanksgiving. And so as we look at Paul here, we're going to be able to see something about what Paul, both for himself, is a high priority... And then also what he's wanting us as the readers to make our priorities as well. And that's not to say that it will bypass, you know, kind of giving us a model for what we give thanks for. Because if those things become our, our priorities, then they will also shape the things we give thanks for. So in this Thanksgiving by Paul, we will see what we need to value more. And now with this outline, we'll take several weeks, I don't know how long it will take us to get through these six verses, but they will keep us oriented as we work through this paragraph. Keep us oriented to where we are in the midst of this paragraph. So the first lesson here, lesson one, the priority of Thanksgiving, is still review. This is where we spent most of our time back in August and September considering why Thanksgiving is so important 
and how we can grow to value it more as we ought. So I'm going to take some time to quickly, quickly review this. Um, keep in mind, we, we spent like, I don't know, it was nine, nine weeks working through this. So I quickly will take a little bit of time, but we'll try to move quickly, high level. I'll try to, try to cut out a whole lot here. First, there are several ways we can see the, the priority of thanksgiving for Paul or the prominent place of thanksgiving in Paul's life. Several ways we can see this. One is the prominent place of thanksgiving in Paul's letters. Paul begins almost all of his letters with thanksgiving. So when Paul wants to write to someone, where does he begin? He begins by giving thanks. That's significant. We're seeing something of the priority of thanksgiving for Paul. And while that's not totally unique in Paul's day, meaning we, we have tons of letters, informal or formal letters, written from one person to another from around the same time period. And while that's it's not totally uncommon for someone to thank their deity for someone or something in the opening of that letter, Paul does it with a frequency which far surpasses that of any of his contemporaries, as far as we can tell, obviously, when we talk about talk about this kind of thing we, we're talking about like we've got a limited amount of extant material to be able to reconstruct our understanding of that time and so it's always somewhat limited uh i remember one one ancient near eastern historian cautioning those who study such things that you often read all the all the material you have out there and you think i now got a very clear idea of what that world was like and he says it's like a massive warehouse full of stuff and you've got one lamp that's turned on Right, and that, and you you go over and study kind of what what you can see because it's in the light, and then you say, okay, that's that's what the whole thing must be like, right? So we we only have a limited material to be able to reconstruct what the ancient world was like in the time around Paul. But from what we can tell, Paul gave thanks with a frequency that far surpassed any others, and even more noticeably, he gave a ton of space to it. Paul doesn't just kind of say, I think I'm thankful for this one sentence and move on. Even as I mentioned in the Thessalonian letters, just focusing on these, he spends a lot of time. I mentioned to you how you can almost count the first three letters or the first three chapters of First Thessalonians as Thanksgiving. So more than half of the book. It's only when you get to chapter four of a five chapter book of First Thessalonians that Paul actually begins to turn to instruction. So Thanksgiving was clearly a priority for Paul in his letters. Next, we can see the priority or prominent place of thanksgiving for Paul in his life. And we could look at a ton of places, but to keep it brief, just look at this letter, the very verses we're looking at. He says, first in verse 2, we thank God or we give thanks to God always. Notice that. We give thanks to God always. There's this frequency, no matter how you understand that to be kind of mapped out what does that actually mean how frequent is that the point is this is happening very frequently so thanksgiving is important in paul's life and then look at the i don't know how your bibles have it but either the end of verse two or the beginning of verse three he says something to the effect of unceasingly we are remembering your work of faith and so on incessantly we're doing this these are the things he's giving thanks for so these things are happening incessantly Again, exactly how frequently that means it's happening, it's not exactly clear, but this is something that's happening very frequently for Paul, right? So Thanksgiving not only had a prominent place in his letters, Thanksgiving had a prominent place in Paul's life. 
It's clear that Paul was habitual in thanking God and thus provides a model that challenges all of us. And then where we spent most of our time was the prominent place of thanksgiving in Paul's theology. And this is where we spent most of our time, and really it was what surprised me the most in our study and hit me the hardest, just really having to give thanksgiving a new place in my thinking. I shared with you before this quotation from a commentator on Paul's letters here talking about Paul in general. Uh, J.B. Lightfoot, he says, How lofty a view Paul took of the duty of thanksgiving. I think that that exclamatory observation helpfully captures the sentiment. Like That's how we should feel. Wow, Paul surprises us, and we have something to learn here from him. So we, we've got to ask, and that's what this point is aiming to do, to ask, what was it Paul understood about thanksgiving that drove him to give it that kind of prominence? What, what in his theology about thanksgiving led him to give it that kind of place? And so that's what we really spent a number of weeks trying to unpack, looking both at the Old Testament and at Paul's letters. And here are some of the significant takeaways from our study of the biblical perspective on thanksgiving. First, thanksgiving to God is one of the major ways we glorify God. It's one of the major ways we live out our God-given purpose of glorifying him. Repeating a lot of things I said here previously, we might think about this in relation to the first question of the Westminster Catechism. You guys are familiar with the first question. What is the chief and highest end of man? Answer, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. And related to this insight, we might augment that by saying, and a principal way we glorify God is by thanking him. And a principal way we glorify God, according to a biblical theology of thanksgiving, is by thanking him. So thanksgiving is not a small matter, a good if you can, not a big deal if you can't kind of thing. Rather, thanksgiving is central to what we were created for and what we've been redeemed for. Giving thanks to God is central to what we were created for and what we've been redeemed for. Repeating myself here again, there's a very real sense in which we can say, if you want to waste your life, one of the surest, fastest ways to do that is to fail to live a life habituated in thanksgiving to God. That's what you were created for. And so to not do it, regardless of everything else you might be doing, is missing one of the primary ways we glorify God. That's the first takeaway. Second takeaway, biblical thanksgiving is God-centered, not man-centered. Biblical thanksgiving is God-centered, that is, focused on rendering due praise to him, not self-focused in the sense of improving our self-esteem, our happiness, our mood, etc. And the point here is simply that our culture has an appreciation for gratitude. You don't have to go to the Christian store to buy a little plaque for your wall that says grateful, right? 
You can go to Walmart to get that or Home Goods or wherever else. And that's not a criticism of that. It's just a note that everyone's interested in that, right? That's something that everyone in our culture can esteem, but in a very watered-down form, a form that doesn't have God at the center of that gratitude. Rather, this might initially surprise you, hopefully you were here and remember how we unpacked this, but in many ways, even though we don't see it on the surface, it actually has self at the center. Gratitude's often promoted because of the ways it can improve our lives. To say it another way, Within kind of our cultural context, gratitude is often listed among the top of a list of important self-care methods. And why would that be there? Because it's there, notice notice the whole category, right? Self-care. Because of what the effect it will have on you, not anything else. And so I want to appeal to you to make Thanksgiving... A thanksgiving that's to God. Gratitude, a gratitude that's Godward because he's worthy of it. Period. Because he's worthy of it, not because of what kind of effect it might have on our demeanor, our disposition, or anything else like that. My prayer is that having unpacked this point at length several months ago, We are now able to see the differences between the worldly form of gratitude and the robust, God-centered biblical gratitude, and that we are not content to settle for the lesser watered-down counterfeit. So the second takeaway, biblical thanksgiving is God-centered, that is, focused on rendering due praise to him, not self-focused in the sense of improving our self-esteem, happiness, mood, etc., Third significant takeaway. One of the central things we give thanks for is Christ's death and resurrection. We saw that this comes up again and again for Paul. And we also noted that just like under the old covenant for Israel, just like for them, the central thing they gave thanks for and came back to again and again was their exodus from Egypt. So in the new covenant, The central thing that the Thanksgiving in the New Testament comes back to again and again is Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And it's easy for us, it's one of the reasons I put this in here, it's easy for us as we get caught up in our day-to-day events to give some quick passing affirmation of Christ's death and resurrection, but for that not to be a recurring theme in our Thanksgiving, as it ought to be. Number four... Thanksgiving is one of the chief characteristics of our transformed life. Thanksgiving is one of the chief characteristics of our transformed life. I had said that for Paul, Thanksgiving fits in the category of ethics. Thanksgiving fits in the category of ethics. Paul will, multiple times, I haven't included these here because remember this is supposed to be a quick review, but Paul repeatedly will say things like, put off in a variety of vices, deeds of the flesh, and put on thanksgiving. We look particularly at a text in Colossians where he does that. Isn't that interesting? Put off all these vices, and then what do you put on? Thanksgiving. Paul puts it in the category of ethics. 
When we turn to Christ, we are turning away from idolatry and deeds of the flesh to Christ. And one of the chief things we are putting on, that is one of the chief characteristics of our new life in Christ, is Godward thanksgiving. Number five, thanksgiving motivates many other good works. Thanksgiving motivates many other good works. That is to say, not only is thanksgiving a good thing in itself, but it contributes, we could say, a synergy in our lives in that it motivates doing good in other areas. Thanksgiving motivates many other good works. Number six, Thanksgiving has a multiplying effect at the community level. Thanksgiving has a multiplying effect at the community level. That is, what I mean by that is, as you give thanks publicly, others are encouraged to take note of what God is doing and give him thanks for it. We are bent, bent toward not noticing God's many good gifts, right? We talked previously extensively about the different lies we're believing in those moments, but we're bent in that direction. We are bent to be dull and blind and whatever else we could put in there towards God's many good gifts and to go about almost assuming them, presuming upon them. And when you, when one person in the body of Christ begins to catch this vision, begins to live this way and habitually thank the Lord, not just in their own prayers, not just privately to the Lord, but publicly sharing that with others, it really reminds us of what we ought to be doing. It kind of pulls us back from that bent. It has a wonderful effect upon one another. It's another one of the significant takeaways we saw from our study of a biblical perspective of Thanksgiving. And then finally, number seven, Thanksgiving for what God has done in the past nurtures trust in him for the future. Thanksgiving for what God has done in the past nurtures trust in him for the future. So those were the major seven takeaways. Tempted to minimally expound on them. Fortunately, we have those, if you want to hear any of these explained a bit more, recorded so you can go back to them. But those are truths Paul believed about thanksgiving and helps to explain why it had a prominent place in his theology, why it therefore had a prominent place in his life and his letters, right? After getting to the end of that study, it was much clearer to me why it was so important to Paul. So those are three ways we see the priority of thanksgiving for Paul. And now that was over three months ago that we finished covering all that. And I hope at the time... I assume, I think it's safe to assume that at the time, all of us had at least an intention to grow in Thanksgiving. But now we, we get a helpful opportunity to look back over the past three months and kind of evaluate how are we doing. Because if, you, if you're like me, that's an all too common pattern to hear biblical truth, see the need to change, and yet for that change and any kind of real mark, markable, you know, kind of, demonstratable way to be quickly forgotten and not to be long lasting. So even for me this week, working back through this, it was very helpful. I was convicted 
at how where I currently am is, I think, beyond where I was before that study, and yet not where we left off. I kind of like that bend, right? We go back to the ways we're, we're prone to do that. So I'm thankful for my own sake for the privilege of coming back and reviewing this and being able to put these truths back before my mind. So how are you doing? If you're doing well, maybe that means you can see that over the past three months, Thanksgiving has become a more significant priority for you. Then let's thank the Lord for that. And I encourage you to persevere in that, right? To excel still more in that. If you're not doing so well, maybe you never got too far past the intention you had in this classroom to, to grow in that. Or maybe you did start making more of a priority for, of it for a time, but then it kind of waned a bit more. However that is, I encourage you to review these theological truths, those seven I gave you. Those seven theological truths will really help you to value it more highly. They will help you to make it a priority. And I also encourage you to go back to those sermons. And you'll remember that near the end of that, after we talked through these truths, we said there are these lies that we just like continually go back to believing. And when they're put before us, kind of on paper, on the screen, we think, no, surely I don't believe that. But then we just tried to unpack all the ways we actually do. We, we must be believing it for, for us to act the way we act or to live the way we live. Do you guys remember that? And what are those truths we need to be believing? And so that would have, I think we spent like two or three weeks on that. So I decided not to include that in the review, anticipating we wouldn't have time for it. Um, but I would encourage you that if you need to get back to thinking about those things and doing better in this area to go back and listen to those. Most of you know this, but just by way of reminder, you can find all of the recordings from in here um, under the Koinonia podcast on Spotify or in Apple Podcasts. And I myself couldn't remember exactly where those were. And so I went back just to help you out. So you have to listen to all of them. Those were in number seven, eight, and nine. Part seven, eight, and nine of the sermons titled Paul's Thanksgiving as a Pattern for Our Priorities. So, this is kind of what we're getting into here, getting back into three lessons from Paul's Thanksgiving to shape our priorities. That catches us up to speed in the sense that we've now reviewed lesson one, the priority of Thanksgiving. And so next week, we'll jump into where we left off, getting into lesson two, the priority of grace-motivated fruitfulness. So Paul begins in verses three and following to start explaining why the grounds or the basis for giving thanks to God. That is, what is he observing that's leading him to give thanks? In the first one, just to kind of anticipate this, here in verse 2, is he says that he's what's causing him to give thanks is because he's remembering their work of faith, their labor or toil of love, and their endurance motivated by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ before our God and Father. So those are aspects of the Christian life that we need to value highly, that Paul valued highly. And so we'll start unpacking those. What do those mean? And how can we begin putting those into practice more extensively in our life? Questions? Thoughts? Hey, Tim. Yeah. Exa- you know, uh, us expressing Thanksgiving. Uh, an example. Mm-hmm. Okay, Tim. I'm thankful... For your teaching, you you enrich me and you encourage me so much. But it should be, I'm thankful to God mm-hmm. 
that he has gifted you to teach. Amen. And, you know, Amen. you know, and just and there's so many other things as we tell people we're thankful for them, but yep. we can start with God and then yeah. relate it to... Uh, that make sense? Totally. That's exactly right, Mark. That's cons- almost almost exclusively, with like one or two exceptions, how Paul gives thanks. And I think we often mean that, right? If, we, if you were to thank me for my teaching, I think you're probably genuinely thankful to God as well, but it's sort of an assumption, right? Whereas this option brings it out and makes it explicit. And how much, how much easier it is for me to simply dismiss it if you just simply say, you thank me. Then okay, well, yeah, thanks. I'm glad it's helpful to you, right? But when you're saying, I thank God for the way he's gifted you and the way you're serving us, wow, that's true. It's not just simply me doing this and, and you're thankful, you're showing gratitude for it, but actually God is the one who's the prime mover in all of this and who's building up his church. I completely agree. Yep. That game came through in the respectable sin of ungodliness. Yes. Like unthankfulness is a result of being ungodly. We just don't think of God as the who is behind all blessings and all trials as well. Totally. So just forgetfulness of God will lead to being thankful. Yes, totally. Cody? One that's like staggering to me is the fact that God would give good gifts and then one of those are common graces. The fact that people can experience a dopamine raise and they would say, well, that's where it stops. It's just in my brain cells producing that dopamine effect mm-hmm. when I'm thankful. Therefore, I'll write a book on neurological uh, pathogens and uh, be Andrew Huberman, start a podcast, and a lot of people are benefiting in some sense of their physical well-being, and that's where it ends in and of itself. And uh, God is just so good to those people and good to me who don't, don't give him attribution to yeah. any of that. Yep. Yeah, so there's like two pieces there. One is like just noting God's gentleness and patience that he even like allows this common grace that people who, who give thanksgiving at a self-centered level, he, he still allows them to be blessed by that. And then there's a sense in which we're, even when we're not grateful, the Lord doesn't quickly throw up his hands and say, so much for you if you're not going to be grateful for this, but he just continues to bless us. Are we going to add another thing? Yeah, that's wonderful. All right. Tim, one of the yeah. truths that stood out to me when we went through this before was in Romans 1, 21, mm-hmm. where he talked about, therefore they're without excuse, and then he gives the for, the because, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him or give thanks. Um, and that just really struck me. I think you unpacked that yeah, a yeah. bit. Of like, this is a fundamental difference for a debased mind, it's yep. giving thanks. Like that's the prominence. It's giving totally scripture. Yep. And I think if I remember correctly, the opposite of giving God and thanking Him, like what they're doing, if you're not doing that, is idolatry. Isn't that where He goes next? Do they not glorify Him or give yes. thanks to Him? But yeah, you know their thoughts, foolish hearts, and idolatry. Yeah, yeah. They start worshiping the created thing yeah. rather than the Creator. Yeah. So always the alternative isn't just like some virtuous absence of gratitude to God, we're just kind of neutral and not thanking God. It's it's idolatry. We're actually honoring something or someone else. Yeah, it's good. Thanks for reminding us of that. All right, let me close this in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your kindness.
kind patience toward us when we live so frequently without thankfulness for seemingly 99% of the things that you graciously bless us with. And we also thank you, Lord, for the, the reminder we're getting through this passage to be more thankful. I pray, Lord, specifically for, for your Spirit's help in the coming days in all of our lives that we would be recalling these things to mind and that we would be setting down new habits, bending the, the, the bend of our lives more in the direction of habituated thanksgiving to you. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to grow in those ways. Help us to encourage one another in those things. Lord, no doubt some will excel faster in these areas than others of us. And I pray, Lord, that you would use those who are in their public giving of thanks in our hearing to continue to compel us on and not allow us to forget about this responsibility and privilege we have in covenant with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.